Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm sitting here on a chair in my office today and I am tuning into everyone listening to the show and I just feel wonderful doing that. I know that the various people who make sure the show happens, there are several of them, share information with me about our listeners regularly and I love the messages and the feedback I get from you and also I can really feel you as well. It's one of those mysterious things. We aren't in the same room, we aren't in the same physical geographic location but energy is real, consciousness is real. And I just feel the consciousness, the energy, the, the being of everyone who is tuning into high energy health. And we are a community. We're part of a community and we are part of a community, our practice. We do things like tapping and meditation and mindful breathing. We move our bodies in mindful ways like yoga and qigong and tai chi and time in nature and grounding. We have all these practices we have that we support ourselves in our well-being. And when we're doing this, we're part of this large community of consciousness. I know that sometimes I talk to people about how we're in the middle of this huge evolutionary leap and they don't believe me. They say, Dawson, look at the war. Dawson, look at the environment. Look at species extinction. Look at climate change. What about all these terrible things? And I completely agree. They're the cause for concern. They're real. We don't want to be in denial about any of the bad stuff happening. But you have no idea how much good stuff is happening either unless you go look for it. And so every time I look at the news, I also, as an antidote, go look at positive news. And there's enormous amounts of it happening. There are all kinds of activities going on. There are dramatically more nonprofits in the world than there were 10 years ago, and dramatically more than there were 20 years ago and 30 years ago. And they're tackling all kinds of things, all of these great social problems, racism, inequality, sexism, ageism, all of these things are being worked on by innovative, smart people. And so we can make a difference in the world, and we make a difference in ourselves. The first person to make a difference in is yourself. I was reading some quotes by Ramana Maharshi, this last week, the great Indian non-dualist sage of the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I've been working on a new course that brings a lot of Ramana Maharshi's wisdom in to our daily life. And Ramana said, the way you can be of the most service to the world is by healing your own self, your own energy, your own perspective, and moving into that state of transcendence. Moving into that state of transcendence, that's the way you heal the world. And so by listening, by tuning into high energy health is one little thing you're doing for your consciousness to elevate your awareness today and then help yourself move into those states and counteract all of the chaos and noise and misery there is out there. It's there. It's real. Do you have to immerse yourself in it? Absolutely not. We need people who can extricate themselves from it, have a sense of perspective. Then parts of your brain pop on that are having to do with perspective taking. You can see yourself. You can enter the witness perspective on your life. And suddenly, 
everything starts to shift. So I encourage you to make positive media like this part of your life. Make positive messages, positive music, positive people, positive friendships part of the fabric of what you have in your life, you construct. And as you do that, your whole life starts to shift. And again, I don't want to minimize or deny all the problems in the world, but there is so much beauty, there is so much grace, there is so much love that is there as well. And we tune into it, tune into those vibrations, then they're there for us. I'm so glad to welcome you. I'm so glad you're here listening to High Energy Health and then tuning in to what we have to say and share and also take notes. Please take notes. Treat this as though you were gifted by sitting with an expert for an hour. Imagine if you sat down with somebody who really knew the answers to some of the questions that have been perplexing you. You would pay close attention. This is your classroom as well, which I want you to then translate those notes into an action plan by the end of our hour together and then bring that into concrete expression in your life. My guest today is Nancy Sokol Green. And her book is called Connection Mode. She was a classroom teacher for a long time. She trained other teachers. And she's also the author of an innovative educational program used in schools nationwide. It began by being called Brain Highways in 1999. Now it's called Brain Highways Global. It's in different countries. And she shares all the insights about this developmental program in her book, Connection Mode. Nancy, wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you. And wait, I get to tell you something I've wanted to tell you directly for a while. Okay. If I could brand what would be the Connection Mode graph, it would be yours. <laughs> See, there it is. See, every time you do that, it makes me smile. It is the best, most authentic laugh. I have to tell you, every time when I listen to you, it just always makes me smile. So I get to tell you that directly. But well, it's thank beautiful. You, I that. you know, I was so struck by the research showing that babies laugh about 300 times a day. Adults laugh about 20 times a day. And so we want to get back to that point we were as babies. And you want to tell us a lot about that in the coming hour. <laughs> right, right. Anyways, I love it. So thank you for every time I hear you laugh, it just lights up all my joy. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. And so I was so struck when I got your book in the mail and began to read some of the passages there about the insights you have and about how a lot of what you're teaching is just totally off the radar of most educators and even most scientists and how some of these foundational basic learnings we um we, we, we go through or should have gone through as children that they can shape our brains, shape our bodies, shape our lives. So I am so curious as to what led to those insights and the, the whole beginning of this process that you later were able to term brain highways. Well, I've always been a teacher and I've always, I started out working with at-risk kids. I just never believed that people didn't want to learn. Right? Why would you not want to learn? It's the most exciting thing in the world. But yet there was all these people who couldn't learn. And back you know, I'm kind of a dinosaur here. It used to be when I worked in the inner city, it was more explained by socioeconomics and other kinds of things that may have legitimately gotten away. And then I started being an educational consultant in affluent school districts. So these were kids who had access to tutors and everything, and they couldn't learn, and they didn't want to learn, and they were defiant. And so there's just a part of me, which I'm really grateful for, that's always curious. I just didn't believe that that was true. So we had to be missing something. So it was one of those things where you get a prompting that's either bold, inspired, naive, all of them. But I went to one of the principals of the schools I was consulting and I said, we're missing something. I don't know what it is. So they ended up giving me 16 of what they called the worst fourth graders of the school. And they said, okay, you take them out to lunch every day and you figure it out. 
And this is really before the internet was really full access. Back in 1999, I don't know if people can remember the dial-up, very slow. But the short story is this 16th, who all these teachers have thought behavior problems couldn't learn, had something in common. And it took a long time for it to unveil. It wasn't like two days. They did not finish their little brain development in the first year of life. And it just turns out that the first year of life, we have messed with tremendously. And I'm not blaming anybody or criticizing, but one of the things is that we have all these fantastic contraptions now that make life easier for the moment. But the baby isn't on the floor doing what we've been naturally wired to do forever. And that ground floor comes in for the higher centers of the brain to build on. So what happens if I get up? I never did those moments. Nobody knew. I didn't know back then. But when we were way, way a long time ago, there was nothing to compete with it. So most likely your mom just put me on the floor where we're supposed to be. That's the best place the first year of life. And the brain just did what it's supposed to do. So you get not only the ground floor. So think about it. If I don't get the ground floor, then it's like, Everything else building on it's going to be wobbly or not very secure. And we also get automatic brain functions. So, and if we look like everybody else, so if we get up and we walk and we don't have those highways, I look like everybody else. I know maybe you're annoyed with me all the time when I can't sit still or I get in your space. I hear that, but I don't experience anything else. So like when you and I are sitting right now on a chair, if we have these highways, our brain is not thinking, okay, what do I need to do so I don't fall off? Oh, I got, I got to compensate this. And then I'm supposed to be listening to you. And I'm supposed to be thinking what I'm saying. And then automatic balance is also, we don't think about it. Well, actually, it grounds us to the earth, viscerally, literally. And so we work with so many people that the way I'd liken it to, they're up on a high rope. So if you can imagine going through life, but you're on a high rope. So right away, all you're thinking about mainly is, am I going to fall? Am I going to fall? You're not going to be still, and yet being still is really important in many times in our life because the highest form of balance allows us to be still. So if I did put you on a high rope right now, I'm assuming you're not a gymnast, you're going to be moving up and back and up and back. And if I say, be still, you're going, who are you? I'm not falling. And then if I told you to read a book while you're doing that, if I told you to come up with a creative idea, so not only do we experiment with all this to prove how that's literally true, and maybe some listeners might even relate to this, many people out there, so you can kind of calibrate the brain and, I don't want to say trick it, but help it by putting some kind of heavy weight on me can actually make me feel grounded. So a lot of adults will tell you that they sleep with a really heavy comforter, which is, makes sense in the winter. But then I asked, do you also use it in the summer? And they said, oh, yeah. And what they don't realize, but intuitively, that weight on them helps them like sleep better so they're not trying to sleep on that high rope. So something as simple as a weighted blanket. I've seen kids that are so dysregulated and upset. And you put a weighted blanket on them. Not only do they calm, but you actually watch their breathing. Almost instantly, just go to that deep belly breathing. Hmm. So there's just so many ways to but that's what it is that this is really going on for so many people. And then if I don't know this and people are telling me, Nancy, sit still because I may be moving like this because I really want to pay attention to you. But And then you say sit still and you're annoyed with me. But if I sit still, oh, I really can't pay attention to you because all my higher brain is figuring out how I stay on this chair. 
and it becomes a great problem to my nervous system. So then I'm constantly in what we call protection mode. I'm constantly on guard. Other people, I create disconnects with other people. I don't understand why, but they think I'm not being cooperative. So this is a really important piece that, like you say, we've worked with over 20,000 people, but it has not made prime time. And so all the wonderful things with the nervous system and everything we're doing, it's not instead of, it's just for some people a start. I can't even tell you, Dustin, how many people in our program would never thought they could do meditation, never thought they could do mindfulness because they would sit still. There was this one woman, I mean, I love meditating, and she told me before she started our program that it took her 45 minutes every day, crying, this and that, just to try to get herself still. And it would last for about, you know, a few minutes meditating. And I went, wow. I mean, as much as I love meditation, I don't know if I would have had the perseverance. But then she gets her lower brain developed and she can just sit and truly reap the benefits. So it is an important piece. So go ahead and uh, let's start with the children and how you, for example, work with those 16 sixth graders and also how you apply this to adults. Let's start with kids. You noticed that there was something going on here. You noticed that it was going on with both the inner city kids, with the affluent kids, and that there was something missing. You didn't know what it was. What led you to what it was? And then how did you apply that with the kids to start with? Well, we started with movement. I knew that they all needed to move. I mean, it was like, just so you know, I should back it up. Schools do not put 16 of the quote, worst kids in one classroom. It's kind of a known fact. You divide them up. So if there's four classrooms, you've got four, another classroom, another four. So what for me, I didn't plan it necessarily, but by having all 16 and the way my mind works, they had a bunch of behaviors that they all had that were odd. Like if I was talking to them from behind them, they didn't like know I existed. Now, if you didn't understand the little brain, you might think they're just dissing me. But if I got in front of them, they could make contact. They touched everything. It was like everything was a magnet, and half the times they dropped it, half the times they broke it, but I never sensed that was it. But they all definitely needed to move. Moving was, you know, if they could move, they could think. So the first thing we started doing is just creating a classroom where you got to move. And I didn't care if he was, and sitting in a chair was really hard. I didn't understand why, but I let him sprawl on the floor. We would sit there and, and jump to do things. We were just constantly moving. And then I started learning about what movements were good for the brain, but it never seemed to last. So the first thing that happened is that 16 though, when they started making all kinds of games, and I barely knew anything back then, the principal wanted me to do a training for the teachers. And I said, no, let's have them do it. So if you can picture, there were 60 educators in the room, principals from other schools, and these were kids that were pegged as the worst. And they got up there, and they not only told people what they needed to learn, they had everybody get up in the movements we've been doing. So everybody <laughs> in there is doing it, and they're laughing, and it's all because they wake up, they wake up the brain. And also, and I knew then why they were doing that, that keep them focused during the presentation, because they're doing it too. And then they just, we didn't plan it. We planned that they were going to do it, but not what they'd say. Each one of them came up to the microphone and said, something about what they wanted to share with everybody. And one after another would say, I used to think I was stupid. I'm not stupid. I just learned differently. And they would just get up there with such confidence and there wasn't a dry uh, tear in the house. I'm dry for everyone was crying. So after that, the teachers wanted more. We started doing brain labs in other schools. And then it became really obvious to me that we were leaving out probably the most important person. And that was the parents. So we were teaching teachers how to understand. Compassion immediately comes when you start to understand that certain highways are in place. And then what can I do in the meantime to help? 
And oh, before actually we went to, with the parents, a whole, everybody was changing, but there was a subgroup that wasn't changing as much. And this little girl, uh, Esperanza, was my inspiration for how everything else changed. When we first met her, talk about not having automatic balance, she fell off chairs like once every 10 minutes. If we jumped on the mini trampoline, she fell. She also never felt like she experienced pain. That turns out to be another symptom for some people. Because she'd laugh, but she'd fall on her face. And she started changing all her um, motor skills and, and things like that. But she wasn't changing. She never could get a math concept. There were still these, I don't know, Heart. So I kept looking more and more and more. And then I finally discovered this heart that babies are supposed to move a certain way on the floor. And babies all over the world, if they move that way, and they're like, who tells them? You don't teach them. Mm-hmm. So I got the green light to try this in public schools, kind of unheard of. And we started having these kids get on the floor like babies do and not teach them how to move. But going back to the very beginning, and it was amazing how everybody at the beginning could barely even move. I mean, it was like when you put a baby on the floor, you go, okay, go. And then they'd go, what do you mean, go? <laughs> you know, in that position on their belly. And then it started to change and everybody's pattern started to change without anybody talking to each other or telling them. Anyways, the short story of this is when Esperanza's pattern suddenly just looked graceful and she's going up and down the floor, she could never count past 10. She's a third grader. Everybody in the world's trying to teach her. Even our strategies didn't work. And so one day I just go, even though I'd given her data, and she just starts going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. She always did that, and then she'd go 34, 67. She'd say a bunch of numbers, and she just goes 11, 12, 13, 14. (laughs) And we went, oh my gosh, there's something here about this round floor so that we can show up who we really are. It just gets in the way. So that's... That's kind of, and then it moved, like I said, then we wanted to include the parents because when we're talking the nervous system, they're reading the nervous system 24 seven. And then we, so we created it as, I uh, got out of the public schools so we could expand more. And in our family program, we have an adult program, but in our family program, we require that at least one parent changes their brain and nervous system alongside their child, <laughs> which is already healing in so many ways. The dads crack me up the most because they're honest, they signed up mainly for their child. I mean, we work with everybody, anybody who has autism, just struggling reading it, all kids who are nonverbal, all kinds of things. And so they just really want help for their kid. But since we quote, make them do it about third week or something, uh, very commonly a dad will go, you know what? I think I've been in protection all my whole life. Yeah, I, I never knew that this was. And it's, so it's just, it's a joyful thing, but it's not something that's real well known. Yeah, and often scientific discoveries begin this way, that we discover them observationally, clinically, we see that these things work, and we don't know why initially. And almost all the, the big discoveries start that way. You know, penicillin was 34 years between discovering that it worked and discovering how it worked. Aspirin was 100 years. And so we observe things like, you know, why does tapping on acupressure points with EFT? We know we see it, it, people getting better, but we don't know why it works. And then much later, decades later, often we come up with an explanatory framework. We test our hypotheses. We discover why it works. And, and you really do a good job of explaining the why as well as the how. But initially you're just seeing the how there. And when we get back in the next segment, I want to go into how you made that leap from clinical observation to testing and then discovering what exactly is going on in the brain. We're going to have a break right now, but you're listening to High Energy Health. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back shortly.
Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I so appreciate you taking care of yourself by being here, raising your vibration, feeling better, enjoying the humor and warmth and discovery that comes from being immersed in a an environment like this and hearing these positive messages and also making notes about what you could do and how you can apply this to yourself. For more about Nancy's work, go to her website, brainhighwaysglobal.com, brainhighwaysglobal.com. She's got free resources there. She's got videos there. And you want to go there and find out more about her work and her new book, which is called Connection Mode. It's really well written. It's really clear. It's really sequential. You can tell Nancy was a teacher for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the book's laid out. So go grab her book and then also check out her website. And again, it's, it's super clear and super easy the way she lays all this out in her book. So you now, Nancy, have this experience with these kids. And now you want to know why? What is it about crawling around on the floor on your belly that <laughs> that's making a difference? And what did you start to discover? We did want to kind of test to see if what we were seeing the changes was related to just these, you know, I mean, it takes a lot to tell people, we can get on the floor. You're going to get, in, you're going to creep. And you're going to, that was like the, you know, and then you're going to crawl. And it's like, what? So I ended up, I didn't come up with, I want to be really clear. I didn't come up with the aha, the movements on the floor. I, what I came up with is how do we do this in public schools? How do we do this with families? How do we bring this, what seems really weird to go back and, recreate movements. But again, this is where neuroplasticity was just coming on the radar when I started doing this. Well, yes, the brain can change. So it really was, can it really? I mean, it sounds odd now, you know, two decades later, but back then it was sort of like, well, this would be a good test. What I did do was come up with a four-minute screening. We can watch how somebody creeps across the floor. We give the exact same prompt. We just tell them to get on the floor, move your body any way you want, and put in position, and just knowing what the final pattern looks like, we can tell you how underdeveloped what we call your primes is. And then we watch how you crawl. And it, what's amazing, we have videos and videos of this so we can show people and we have a screening program now. People do not do this the same way. I mean, you would think that everybody would get on the floor and do it. And it's amazing how many different ways, based on what we concluded, how much you finished developing your first year of life. And then the whole point, though, is not does my creep look pretty or does my crawl look nice? It's indicative of what automatic functions I have. So then you could pick any ones you want, but we pick the four ones where we do automatic balance. So it's just a real simple screening. Um, we do eye tracking, we do eye teaming, and we do a proprioceptive one where you're just basically, you shut your eyes and I tell you quickly to touch a body part. Now that sounds really simple, right? But that means you have to have an innate knowing of where your body parts are without looking. It's shocking when you actually see people and you tell them to shut their eyes and you say, touch your knees, and they touch their shoulders. Mm. And they know. No one believes me until you watch it. Parents' jaws just drop. But then the connection to that would be, if I don't know where I am in space, I think I am going to be a space invader and get in your space because I have no sense of it. That's why I sit there and tap my foot while I'm talking to you. Because there's my foot. Otherwise, I don't know where it is. So what we do is we get a really good idea of how the lower brain is, these particular, we could do other functions if we wanted, and we don't ever teach, for example, balance. We don't ever teach eye tracking. We don't put you through a bunch of exercises. What we do is we put you on the floor, and then we go back and do that same screening, and you have balance, and your eyes can track. 
and you know where your body parts are. And that How long the, on the floor? How long do you have to be on the floor for that? That's always the big question people ask. It depends where did you start. So did you get, if I started with you and you had 70% of your lower brain developed, you're doing pretty good, you know, versus a lot of people who need, the nice ones say 5%. It's really just not developed. So it's not chronological time because when someone says, oh, I've been creeping for six months, we go, hmm, probably weren't doing brain highways because you were not creeping while you were eating, showering, sleeping. The only time that you're changing this lower brain is when you're doing these early movements and there's some other primitive reflex movements we do as well. We clock the time on the floor. So the average person, average being in quotes, requires about 100 hours, 100 to 150. Some people earlier, but we work with, like I say, kids that aren't speaking, they're nonverbal, they can't really, and they're going to take longer. But, here's the big but, you see change within about 10 hours, hmm. in 15 hours. So that's why people get really excited. I was going to tell you when you're talking about how it takes a while for what we observed then to become science and, and people looking at I have a lot of scientists who do our program, and I'm thinking of one even this neurosurgeon, and it kind of drives them batty at first that I'm not hardcore documented, you know, gold standard science. But they, this one neurosurgeon that I'm thinking of, he brought his daughter because she was six years old, labeled with autism, not speaking. And he drove two hours to come to our center. We had a center at that time. And just so she could be with the other group. So it's six weeks into the program. This happens all the time with him. He walks in. First of all, she comes in smiling, wasn't smiling before, says hello. So that's already like, oh my gosh. And then one of the staff members takes her to go on some of the fun brain apparatus and he stands next to me and he'll go, I just don't really get what you do here. Nothing in my training, nothing in my background understands this. And I don't take it offensive. He's being honest, you know, and he's just, he's just observing and I just nod. And then he's always would flip to being the dad and he goes, but thank you. Thank you. Because now he's just watching his daughter speak in and come alive. So that is, I believe, and that was kind of the journey with tapping too. You know, like some people need to have it absolutely hardcore, but then some people go, what's the downside? And I feel way better. So I've always been attracted to what we bring to our program. No downside. Everything's just widening the view. If you're already doing something that makes you feel great, why would you give it up? But there could be certain tools and certain pieces to you being you that maybe are game changer. And so how did you begin to figure out that this was the lower brain that was the, the part that needed to be developed? The lower brain does too, by the way, because people may not know what that part of the brain that is. And Well, here's where I'm being really honest. We go back and do the movements that I know a baby does the first year of life, okay? Even to the point we do some um, primitive reflex movements, and we're, re we're replicating it so the brain can finally go, okay, done. And what's even so cute is because initially a lot of the kids, their brains are just all, they can't even follow it. So we don't want to teach it by words, so we actually pattern them. We actually move them so the brain can remember. And then sooner or later, somebody will have a kid in the, somebody in the program will have, somebody in the family has a baby, and they go, oh my gosh, Nancy, the baby can do swords. We call it swords. It's like, yes, of course the baby can do it because it's innate. So the whole point is, is that I know that these are movements we do when we're babies. I know that by now working with, like I say, over 20,000 people, many people's brains have not done these. It's very obvious they haven't done that. I hypothesize, and that's why I love all your brain research, because I always go, hmm, hmm, yeah, because that part of the higher brain does this, that part of that, and yet that seems like 
what happens after they do the lower brain. So if I were to make my hypothesis, it's not that the lower brain really does the things that we say change as much as it gives you access now to your higher brain. And the best way I can compare that to is if the higher centers of the brain are so preoccupied with basic survival and basic, you know, just, I can't be knowing me, I can't focus, uh, I can't do anything. So if you today had to come and know to my job all day today, because also the higher centers of the brain go, really, this isn't my job back here. I'm not even really sure what this is, so I'm not going to be that great at it. So let's say you do my job today. How good are you going to be at it? You have no hmm. idea what I do. Huh. And how is it going to affect your own job, though? It will, because you're being pulled in so many different directions. That's how I picture what happens. Until the ground floor is in, the upper floor is going, ah, ah, ah. I mean, I know that's not very scientific, but that's, that's the teacher in me. And that's why when we start yeah. working with adults, you'll find enough. So everything in my brain is patterns. How many adults will say, you know what? I did really well in school. I did. And then maybe it was when I went to college, it fell apart for me. Or maybe it was after my birth of my first child. Definitely the older we get, it seems like things fall apart. And my theory, again, is that you've been a great compensator, but what you've been using to compensate also ages. And maybe you've been using your eyes more to balance than you're supposed to, but no, maybe they're not doing so great. And um, we hear among our older participants all the time the perception, I'm so tired at this point, mm. and I'm so tired. And then we go and screen them and go, wow, it's amazing you've accomplished what you've accomplished. And then you go show them a different way, and then they start to recapture those parts of themselves. We'll be back after a few moments. So we're going to a break right now. For more on Nancy's work, go to her website, brainhighwaysglobal.com, and her book is wonderful. It's called Connection Mode. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing. I'm so glad you're with me today and you're learning, you're discovering, you're probably having aha insights as we are sharing these ideas. So make this part of your life, make it part of your journey, and I'd love to see you back and bookmark this page, make it part of your regular mental health and happiness practice. For more on Nancy's work, go to her website, Brain Highways Global. Com. You know, Nancy, when you were sharing earlier in the previous segment, I was just cracking up internally because last night I talked to my daughter, who's about 30. We, we, we were FaceTiming each other, and I just noticed that she was like crocheting. She was like doing stuff with her hands while she was talking, and I was pottering around doing something as well. We suddenly had this realization that we both do things with our hands while we are talking, we both seem to think better when we do. And then I was reading another 
guy who has a big website, he was saying, oh, I always go for a walk and I do you know, crafts and stuff while I'm thinking. And we just had never realized for the whole 30 years of her life that we both had the same pattern. But then when you're talking about how people needed like move often when they're when they're, when they're thinking, uh, I was like, just it never occurred to me to put the two things together. So that's a powerful insight. And I can see we all get humbled in this. When I started doing it with the kids, I thought this didn't apply to me. And that's what I say. There's nothing wrong if we didn't finish our lower brain. And we don't call up our parents and go, hey, where were you the first year? None of us knew. <laughs> but it's a, it is, if you think it's an insight just to think about the lower brain possible connection, it's unbelievable if there is that connection. And then we can actually go back and just finish up some of those circuitry that we never did. So I just think that it just becomes a different way of looking at it. Like I say, I didn't think that I really, for lack of a better word, needed to do it, but I wanted to be game with the kids. So I get on the floor and do the movements with them. And, and then all of a sudden I find out later in my life, I'd been compensating for something. And we think we just make a story of what we compensate. I say, I just don't like to drive at night. So I said, I just don't like to drive at night. I didn't think that was a big deal. If you were to ask me, what would you like easier in your life? The answer I would just say, I, I wouldn't have even thought of that. I, did, I look good at school and friends and work and stuff. But, and then I married my husband. He always drove us at night. So no problem, right? That's called a compensation. <laughs> Until one night he's out of town and my 14 year old daughter at the time calls me up and says, the mom who was supposed to pick them up can't come and can't I come and get them? Except for, I don't drive at night. And it's, it's, it's kind of a windy road. And what am I supposed to say? I have nighttime driving disorder. I mean, there's no real reason for it. So I go, okay, the anxiety. So this is kind of like I'm being busted for my compensation, which is what happens sometimes. But the most amazing thing is I could see I had been doing all that floor work, not thinking it was for me. And of course, you know, since you have kids, you know that I embarrassed my daughter like you can't believe when I picked her up because I'm going in her farm. But oh my gosh, look at me. I'm driving at night. I can see. This is amazing. And she's like, oh my gosh, my mom is weird as it is. But, but here's the main point of that story. So you might think, okay, big deal. So she can drive at night. Probably the most I don't know, one of the best things I ever did in my life was when I left the public schools, I opened a brain highway center so people could come from all over. And classes went all the way to the evening. So almost every night I drove home in the dark. Now, as lovely as my husband is, I do not think he would have waited around every night for the call to say, come and get me. So sometimes when you talk about the aha moments, you don't even know how much you may even compensating or how many doors might open for us. So there's nothing wrong with us. That's what I want people to understand. If you're, sometimes people say, oh, if I'm really creative, if I get on the floor, will it ruin my creativity? It's like, what? No, it'll just be even more because there's sometimes, actually, I'm going to go back to those first 16. I knew they were brilliant. When we started doing these things, they were so smart, but we had to move all the time before I figured out the lower brain piece. And I used to think, they're going to walk into a board meeting and they're going to be crossing over and they're going to be jumping. And <laughs> I don't know if everyone's going to embrace it like we are. And so we want to have the option that if we want to be still, we can. If we want to be dialed down, we can. And I just think we were meant to be this way. That's why I call it connection mode. And this is just a piece of, but it's a huge piece for many people so that we can show up. Yeah, But I really believe from doing this for 20 years that things like we talk about compassion and courage and kindness and creativity, those are byproducts of a brain that's working the way it's supposed to when I'm showing up as myself.
So I don't think you can just tell somebody. We do. We even tell people, calm down. Nobody thinks that really works. Nobody says, oh, I feel so much better now. Thank you. I mean, we do all these things, but it's just, I just hope people have an aha moment of what if I am working harder than I'm supposed to fill in the blank? Yes. And if I could make that easier, how much more could I give to the world? You know where I'm going with that. So. so I want to do two things now. I want you to give us a list of the ways which people compensate. And before you do that, Nancy, I want you listening to grab either something you can write on electronically or something you can write on physically, like a piece of paper and a pen. Remember those? Before we had electronic devices, you may want to choose one of those instead. And I want you to write down, make notes about how you are compensating. So as Nancy's giving us a list of the ways she's found people working with those 20,000 people, what are some typical ways people compensate? For her, it was, I don't drive at night, but what is it for you? It can show up in any one of a number of different ways. So as Nancy gives us a list of, of some of those types of compensation that people often do, I want you to be thinking about yours and write this down now. So Nancy, go for it. Okay, well, I'm going to do one thing before I go over, because even better, because the list is really long and it could be unique. So if I rattle off five or six and people go, that's not me, I'm not compensating. So on the website for free, you can take an online screening and it's all those compensations. And so you'll check and make, it's like a quiz like in a magazine where they'll get points for it. But even better than that, it'll explain to you why that's a compensation. Okay, so I'll start with, I'll just start with them. I rock in my chair. I go back and forth like this. Maybe I'm rocking in my chair. That's a compensation to turn on my vestibular system, which probably isn't working well because my lower brain isn't working well. And that helps me not only focus, but that helps me stay alert. I'm being the really simple kind of thing. I tap. I tap my foot. I tap my finger. I'm constantly, and I don't mean tapping like how we're ta tapping for calming stuff. But actually, that's one of the reasons that it even appealed to me, though, because we intuitively do tap when we want to it, calm ourselves. So the person tapping, but they're not being annoying. It's literally so my brain can go, oh, there that is. We may be doing that. Another one people do, and again, this isn't always everyone, but believe it or not, humming, excessively humming. Now, humming is great, don't get me wrong, but people are just always, <laughs> I'll train my brain to listen to that there's some background noise that's really bothering them. So it might be the air conditioning, it might be a fan going, it might be something. And so when the lower brain isn't fully developed, I don't have the ability to naturally regulate things to the background. Like right now, tags. See, I have to go look for my tag. I don't have this. But so many people, there's even gadgets now where they take out their tags because their brain isn't automatically going, tag, not important. Just listen to what Dawson's saying. Just listen to what Nancy's saying. So people, um, not only do they take tags off for compensations, but humming creates white noise so that I don't have all that other background noise interfering with me. Kids, unfortunately, sometimes will scream. Ah! It's the same kind of thing, though. Or just talk, drives teachers sometimes really frustrated, something they don't understand. They're just talking all the time underneath their breath. They're talking out loud. But what they're really doing is creating white noise so it doesn't all come bombarding into the brain. And so like when people say, hey, Dawson, pay attention. If this is what was going on in your brain, your brain, if it could talk back, would say, to what? I'm feeling everything, the clothing, the waistband. And that's why some people don't like food. So I know people think they're picky eaters, but they really do change when they change their brain. It's not that they don't like the taste, the texture drives them crazy in their mouth. 
So it might be, it's like the texture. Let's see. Am I giving you enough to get you started? No, absolutely. Those are, uh, yeah, I'm sure That's you have just the beginning. That, oh, and they can't make eye contact. Can't make yeah. eye contact. So people kind of, or they do make eye contact because they've learned it's important in this culture. Kids, kids, I think if you get all the kids in the world can't make eye contact, they'd say, what's with adults? Why do they care if I'm looking at them? So until this part of the brain is developed, many people pay better attention not looking at you. So we don't have to say, look at me. But some adults, I'm going to give you a big one now that people are going to go, uh-oh. Just Actually, Nancy, so hold it one off the break because you need your, your break right now. Okay. And then great, we're, great. Okay. Uh, give us that biggie. Okay. So you're listening to High Energy Health for that online screening on compensations, which I know you're going to go do. <laughs> go to Nancy's website, brainhighwaysglobal.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. Thanks for being here for you. Hopefully you've had many insights over the last while and you can also take that assessment at Nancy's website. I encourage you to go there and use her free resources. That again is brainhighwaysglobal.com and her book is called Connection Mode. As I mentioned earlier, it's well-written, it's clear, it's provocative, it's full of human interest examples that you can read to see how this works in people's lives. Highly recommended. I'm going to review it myself on Amazon. I'm going to, oh, by the way, do click on those reviews on Amazon and leave reviews for people whose books you like and use on Amazon. It's really powerful to do that. Once Amazon gets a lot of reviews, 500 reviews, 1,000 reviews, it then starts showing that book to other people who are in their algorithm going to like the book. So it really helps to leave those reviews. So leave Nancy's book a review, leave a five-star review. Again, Nancy can't ask you to do that, violates Amazon's policies, but I can. <laughs> and I am, and I did. <laughs> and there's that laugh. I love it. I love everything you said and that laugh. So wow, show your great. appreciation, Nancy, for her groundbreaking work by leaving her a five-star review on Amazon. And again, go and use that screening on her site. So Nancy, you're about to share with us what a major big compensation is. So when people read, your eyes, the way they're supposed to work is the two eyes come together at once to be on the word. If I don't have a lower brain developed, honestly, it can text can move around, words can read, maybe I don't like to read, or I have to read the page six times and come back to understand it. Watch somebody read, who they say they have to, and they tilt their head a little bit. It can be subtle. Some people tilt a lot, a little subtle. And what they've done is they don't are aware they did it, but they now only have one eye on the text. They got the other eye out of the picture so that they got rid of the moving text and all. But that's not the most efficient way to read. Once in a while, there was a person on a TV show that was some host something, and you could tell he was reading the teleprompter, and he read like this. I mean, it was one of the most pronounced ones I've seen where his head was almost on his shoulder. Guaranteed, I can tell you how you're going to crawl when I see the head tilted like that. It's that exact. Head tilt. Now, everybody tilts their head like maybe I'm thinking, but I'm talking about regular head tilting when I'm reading. I can tell you what the hands will look like when you crawl. 
Wow. That's how exact it is. Yeah. But again, someone might say, well, I love to read. Yes. I might send you something you want to see where we interview all these teens who are really doing great in school. And they go, I love to read. And then you say, well, do words ever move around the page? Because I've already screamed. They go, yeah. Like at the end of reading, it's like, you know, words aren't supposed to move when you read. It's like, what? So (laughs) anyways, I just hope this inspires people to know that, especially people who've been struggling for a lot and they've tried so many things. This is often just a big game changer because it connects to everything. And and I just really appreciate you giving me a chance to bring it out to people who don't know about it. I, I, I get that all the time for our participants. Why don't more people know? So I finally wrote the book. <laughs> yeah, good for you. And then how do you tie EFP tapping into this? Yes. So tapping is one of our many ways that we offer to our our people to bring themselves back into connection mode. We talk about the nervous system trifecta in our program. So resolve and replenish and repair. Fixing the lower brain would be under repair. Tapping would be both replenishing and resolving in our program. But we do it so differently for kids. We're probably out of time, but we have such a fun way. We have three-year-olds tapping. We make everything fun in our program. That's part of also why we make the brain movements best that way. But we just make... even have a tapping wheel of fortune to get the teens even to do it at first, but we made it really simple. And we start with nine superpowers, which are like peace, acceptance, courage, creative, and choose. So a five-year-old might go, I'm so angry at my brother right now, but I'm going to choose peace. And so, and the way we taught them the tapping points is we do it first by singing, row, row, row your boat. I mean, I don't have time to explain it all to you, but it is really powerful. And I have to also tell you, even though so many people in the world do tapping, the people who come to Brain Highways, usually it's the first thing that's kind of off the beaten path. And I'd say 95% of the people in our program have never heard of tapping and they love it. And then they go on to the more advanced ways of doing it. We have videos where I'm tapping on my dog who just melts with it. And then I get kids sending me videos of them <laughs> tapping on their dog. I've got them on their chicken, on their hamster. I mean, this is what we do with kids. And then we have one of a mom tapping on a baby. who She's been doing it from day one, because that's the whole point. You have to do it first when we're in connection mode so the brain recognizes it. And the baby, we literally ca- caught this on film. The baby starts to fuss, five months old. And the mom starts tapping. I choose, we choose joy. Joy is our problem. What will you do with it? The baby calms, so it's pretty convincing when you see a baby calm right there. And at the end of it, I couldn't have scripted it if I tried, the baby does the yoga happy baby pose. (laughs) So we just have, I'm so grateful for the people that have done all the work in tapping where we took it a little here and there. We made it quite fun, quite accessible. And then we can get into some of the more challenging pieces. We talk to our nervous system a lot. We have a, you probably love the gratitude one. We have a goofy, healthy gratitude one where we're thanking our <laughs> body for every cut it ever healed. I mean, uh. so we just go with it. And then I'm going to be honest with you. I'm so glad many people, when they get to some really trauma things, is now they feel the confidence to seek out a, a practitioner. Yes, and, they, and, and they start their trauma. Everything else should say. They would have never, they they would have never done that before. So they come in with sort of a joyful, lighthearted way. And then people just take off. You're not with me long when you're in the program. We're just basically reminding your brain and your heart what it already knows. Oh, absolutely. Thank you again so much. And for everyone listening again, apply these ideas. And till the next time we get together again, be healthy, be happy, take care of yourself, live in a state of love, joy, and peace. Thanks for listening. Till next week, all the best.